Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to another program in our series entitled, The Differences Between the Rapture of the Church and the Second Coming of Christ. In our last program, we spent uh, pretty much the whole program going through two of the three rapture passages, two of the three clearest rapture passages in the Bible. The first one that we covered a couple of programs ago was uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and then last time we spent our time in John chapter 14, 1 through 3, and in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 58. Those are three wonderful rapture passages that give us a very clear description of what Christ is going to do when he comes for the church and takes us up to heaven to be with him and to um, be wedded to him. So as we move from that um, number two uh, point in our handout that you find at whcbradio.org, a handout that provides you each of these points that we're going through uh, to uh, explore the differences between the rapture and the second coming. We're in point number two, and we just finished the description of point number two relative to the rapture, and now we want to move on to point number two and compare the rapture with the second coming in those particular uh, scriptures. So we're going to turn to Matthew 24, because the point we want to make here in the second coming is that Jesus comes back with his church, his bride, which of course is now uh, referred to as his wife, because the marriage has taken place in heaven, that he comes back and he does it immediately after the tribulation. So we have a time marker here of when Jesus comes back with his church, when we come back to rule and reign with him in his millennial kingdom, which we'll discuss later, uh, in his millennial kingdom for a thousand years. We have, uh, we have work to do. So let's look at Matthew 24. It's um, a clear uh, description of the second coming of Christ. And this was given at what is called the Olivet Discourse. And Olivet is a fancy way of saying um, the Mount of Olives, which is a, um, a hill, a mountain, uh, not a very big one, uh, one of the seven hills, if you will, around the old city of Jerusalem in Israel. And it's just to the east of the Temple Mount, between the Temple Mount and the uh, Mount of Olives is what's called the Kidron Valley, the Kidron Valley. And it's probably about not much more than a half-mile walk from the Temple Mount to the top of the Mount of Olives. Been there, um, I think, now three or four times over the years on study programs uh, in Israel. One wonderful experience, and it's, it's something to um, be standing uh, not only in the Temple Mount where Jesus ministered, but also on the Mount of Olives, where he lifted off the earth at the end of his first ministry and where he will actually touch the earth uh, again. And we'll study that uh, here in today's program as part of the second coming. So let's look at Matthew 24 on our handout. 
And uh, Matthew 24, verses 29 to 31. Uh, and it reads in 29, verse 29, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven of the heavens will be shaken. Verse 30, And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And then uh, verse 31, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. So let's take a few minutes here, and let's uh, look at some detail in Matthew 24, since this is the, the, um, a big part of what's called the Olivet Discourse. And in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is basically telling Israel that they must suffer before they see um, their Messiah again. And a big, big part of that suffering is going to be the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation. And of course, Israel has been suffering for the last 2,000 years from the point that they denied the Messiah when Jesus was here the first time, when he came to offer the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. He's basically saying, I am the king that has been promised to you. I'm here to set up my kingdom. The only requirement is that you accept me in your mind and in your heart as the Son of God. And, of course, we know that they uh, did not do that, that only a handful of them did it, uh, principally the apostles and disciples that followed Christ. And, therefore, because of their refusal to recognize him as their Lord and Savior, as their Messiah, to set up the kingdom, um, they've been punished, uh, I guess is the best way to say it, they've been punished for the last 2,000 years. Now, that doesn't mean that God has given up on Israel, which is what uh, a lot of people believe God did, but the Scripture does not say that at all. The Scripture tells us over and over again that God is a covenant-keeping God, a covenant which is a very um, serious agreement between two parties. God made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. He made a covenant with David. He made a covenant with the Aaronic line of priests, and he has not broken those covenants, nor will he ever break those covenants. And the confidence that we have in that, the fact that God is a covenant-keeping God, is he made a covenant with you and me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God made a covenant through his son, his death, burial, and resurrection, that you would have eternal life. That's a promise. If God breaks his covenants, then I'd be worried that he would break his covenant with me, that I am truly not saved, that he could be fickled and immediately or at some point in the future say, well, I'm unsaving you. Well, he doesn't do that. That is not God's character. That is evident throughout his word that uh, he is a covenant-keeping God, and that is a promise not only to us as his church through his son, but it's a promise also to Israel, which, of course, we, we know from prior programs here in this series is the wife of God. So we know that there's going to be a tribulation, looking back at Matthew 24 here, 
uh, in verse 29. We, we put a time marker right there, but immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, you might be inclined if you pull this verse out of context, which unfortunately a lot of people tend to do, not just this, but any verse. You pull it out of context, and you can draw the wrong conclusions. You could say that this is just, uh, if you will, a lowercase t tribulation, meaning a difficult period sometime in the past or perhaps sometime in the future, but not the tribulation. Well, in the context of Matthew 24, where Matthew is talking through the leading of the Holy Spirit, if you will turn back, and this is in your this is in your uh, handout. Look at verse 21. So verse 29, go back to verse 21. And it says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. So we are obviously talking about not just any tribulation, but the great tribulation that is uh, talked about uh, in many places in the Bible, but specifically prophesied in detail by the prophet Daniel, which we'll talk about later on in another episode of this series. So we've pinpointed the time here that the church is coming back with Christ at his second coming, and it's going to be immediately after the tribulation of those days. And another way uh, to know that this is not something that has happened in the past is look at continuing on there in verse 29. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heavens of the heavens will be shaken. Um, I may have been sleeping through that, but I certainly don't remember that happening at any time in the earth's history. But we are told in several places in the Old Testament and the New that uh, at the second coming of Christ, these uh, special celestial events um, will take place to signal uh, the return of Christ. And um, another key point to see here is in verse 30, knowing that this is um, the second coming of the Son of Man. And if uh, you were with us in our uh, second episode in this series, we talked in detail about the distinctive difference uh, between the title, the Son of Man, and the Son of God. We know that uh, the Son of Man, according to John chapter 5, is coming to judge, and the Son of God is coming to bless and to reward and to save. So it's the same man, Jesus Christ, but he's coming with different attributes. One attribute, the Son of God at the rapture. Another attribute, the Son of Man, because that's how the world sees him, uh, will come at the second coming. And look what it says there later on in verse 30. He will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. All the tribes. So basically, as the King James likes to say, the earth dwellers uh, on the earth will mourn. And they're mourning because they know that they have been sinful, that they have been lawless, that they have been evil, and they will know that their time is up and that the man who had been promised to judge them has come uh, in his glory with his angels and with his holy ones, with the church. So this is going to be a very terrible time at the end of the tribulation period. So while the tribulation has been a horrible time, the judgments are yet to take place. 
Um, and I add 31 in here because I want to make a, a point to you because it affects or it can affect. It shouldn't, but it, it can be depending on who you talk to. Can affect how you view Matthew 24. You remember we, we talked about you can come in with a uh, letting the Holy Spirit define the Scripture for you, or you can go in and, and define the Bible through what somebody has told you. And that second group, defining the Bible based on what somebody has told them, has said that this is really not about uh, Israel. This is about the rapture of the church. And they, they determine that by looking at verse 31. And it says, He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they, the angels, will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. And they say, well, the church is the elect. So obviously that's who we're talking about here. What I'd like to do just to make that point as a little side road is to take you to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, which is right towards the end. It's interesting about Isaiah because the book has got 66 chapters. And, of course, our Bible was canonized with 66 chapters in it. Not only is Isaiah uh, constructed with 66 chapters, but the, the theme of the first 39 chapters is about judgments against Israel, discipline uh, of Israel, and the 27 following chapters uh, to the end, verse, uh, chapter 66, are all about the future of Israel. And that's exactly how the Old Testament and the New Testament are constructed. Talking about Israel and its discipline uh, from God in the Old Testament and talking about the future when Israel will be blessed. And of course, it talks about the church as well in the New Testament. But also, God has a future glorious plan for Israel. And that's uh, laid out all in the latter chapters of Isaiah. And we look at the very um, next to last chapter at the very end of Isaiah and look at chapter 65, verse 9, and it says, I will bring forth offspring from Jacob. And of course, when you see the word Jacob, that is um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was the father whose name was changed to Israel and was the father of the 12 tribes. So when you see the name Jacob, uh, you certainly want to look at context, but most of the time when you see Jacob, it's, return, it's referring to all of Israel, all 12 tribes. So if you're looking at something that's prophetic in the future and you see the word or the name Jacob, you know that this is a regathering of the 12 tribes. And of course, uh, most of the tribes of Israel are scattered around the world today. And that happened uh, first with the 10 northern tribes in 722 B.C. when the Assyrians took them away and scattered them. And then again with the two southern tribes, Jacob and Benjamin, when they were scattered by the Babylonians uh, ultimately uh, after three sieges of Jerusalem, ultimately in 586 B.C. So really none of the tribes have been together uh, per se as tribes uh, since 586 B.C., but So when you see the name Jacob, that is a glorious event. That means that God has gathered all the tribes back together again. So again, in Isaiah 65, verse 9, I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and, and an heir of my mountains from Judah, even my chosen ones, and there it is, even my chosen ones shall inherit it, 
and my servants will dwell there. So he's talking clearly to Israel here in Isaiah. This is about 650 years before Christ. And it's a great prophecy that he's going to bring Israel back together. And he's referring to them as his chosen ones. Now, chosen ones is another term for elect. They're interchangeable. Israel, those that are counted as righteous in Israel. So we're talking about future following the uh, the tribulation here and the judging of Israel. So these are only the righteous of Israel that have uh, accepted Jesus as their Messiah. They're called elect, and obviously the church has called has is called elect. But I want to make sure you understand that they are two distinct and separate groups. They're not one and the same, because righteous Israel is going to go into the millennial kingdom from the tribulation in their flesh and blood body. They will inherit the kingdom on the earth that had been promised to them. The church, on the other hand, will be raptured up and received a glorified body. We will not have a kingdom. All of our promises um, will be in heaven, whereas all of the promises to Israel in the millennial kingdom are on the earth. So our home will be in heaven. Israel's home will be on, on earth in Israel, literally, physically, geographically in Israel, with its um, headquarters and the, the, the throne of Christ being in Jerusalem. But they will be referred to as the elect. So when we go back to Matthew 24, back to Matthew 24, to the second coming passage description when he says that the angels will be sent out by the Lord to gather the elect from the four winds of the earth, we're talking about physical Israel, those that uh, are going to be regathered um, previous to the millennial kingdom, uh, will be regathered and brought back together again and referred to as Jacob, uh, among other names. So I want to make that important distinction that just because it says elect, it doesn't mean the church. So you have to look at it in context and see what's being referred to. And as you read through Matthew 24, this is clearly, clearly a, um, the imagery is Jewish because it's talking about the Sabbath and so forth. Uh, it has um, really nothing to do with the church. And of course, whenever you see the term son of man, as we see in verse 30, um, God or Jesus does not refer to himself as the son of man when he's talking to the church. When he's talking to the church, he's the son of God because that's how we recognize him. So again, when he says son of man, you know that he's talking to an unbelieving, unsaved world in that context. Okay, let's uh, let's go to Zechariah and see another uh, point about the uh, the second coming and the timing of it at the end of the tribulation. And Zechariah is the second to the last uh, book in the Old Testament. So if you go back through your Gospels past Matthew, and then you you come to the Italian prophet Malachi, which actually it's Malachi, but hey, let's have a joke. Zechariah chapter 14. So we go to the end of Zechariah. Zechariah was written around 400 B.C., Uh, 400 years before Christ, one of the last books of the Bible to be written. And he says in Zechariah 14, 
starting at verse 4 and reading 4 and 5. It says, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in the front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. Verse 5, You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So he's talking about the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation. He's going to come and physically stand on the Mount of Olives, the same place that he lifted off the earth from 2,000 years ago to execute judgment on the earth. And it's going to have all of the angels and the church, all the holy ones, there with him. Now we want to answer a, a question from a listener, so we'll pick up this series here next time. We have a question from uh, Norma, Norma in Kingsport. And she asks, can we know when Jesus is coming to the earth at his second coming? So a very, very timely question from Norma in Kingsport. Norma, the the prophet Daniel, makes it clear that the tribulation will be seven years long, and we find that in Daniel chapter 29. So let's go to the book of Daniel, and we were just in Zechariah at the end of our program today, so if you go back through what are called the minor or or short prophets and go to Daniel chapter 9... Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, is one of the greatest prophecies in all of the Bible. And this is a prophecy about the 70 years uh, that God is dealing with Israel. And 69 of those 70 years uh, deals with Israel up to the uh, crucifixion of Christ, which we see in verse 26. But the 70th year, we call it the 70th year of Daniel, has yet to take place. And he describes the 70th year of Daniel in uh, Daniel chapter uh, 9, verse 27. And it says, he will make a firm covenant with the many. And if you read further uh, up above there, you find out in context that he is the Antichrist. He will make a firm covenant with the many. And again, in cross-references that we'll go into in another um, episode, uh, we find out that he's talking about Israel here. So the Antichrist will make a firm covenant with Israel for one week. And one week, when we look at the Hebrew um, translations of this word, is seven years. So he make a covenant with Israel for one week, but in the middle of the week, in the middle of those seven years, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And again, to step away from the scripture, sacrifice and grain offering uh, is a very clear picture of Israel. Uh, We know that the church doesn't do that. So this is talking about Israel, that the Antichrist will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So um, we know that there's going to be a seven-year period of time uh, when 
the tribulation will take place. And then we know from Matthew 24 that we just finished uh, talking about here, so very timely, Matthew 24, verse 29, we know that that period of tribulation, when it comes to an end, that is when the Lord will come back uh, with his church to uh, to judge the world. So again, Matthew 24, just for reference, uh, for Norma and for uh, those that are, are listening and, and interested in this point, that in verse 29 it says, immediately after the tribulation. So we saw the tribulation seven years described in Daniel. And here it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man, verse 30, will appear in the sky and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of sky with power and great glory. So we understand from Matthew 29 that Jesus will return to the earth immediately following the tribulation. As a matter of fact, uh, when you cross-reference, particularly in the book of Daniel, you find in a deeper study of Scripture um, the fact that the tribulation is divided into two three-and-a-half-year periods, uh, two three-and-a-half-year periods totaling um, seven years, and in cross-references, not only in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but you, fi- you find that the Jew, Israel, calculates a month with 30 days, and of course the year with 12 months. So you're talking about 360 days in the Jewish year because they use the lunar calendar, whereas the, the Gentile West uses the solar calendar. So their year is 360 days, and if you have three and a half years, then you know an exact number of days, and you double that for seven, you find that the seven-year tribulation is exactly 2,520 days long. So that if you, um, if you know when the tribulation starts, uh, sometime after the rapture of the church, you can calculate the exact day that Jesus returns once the tribulation starts. So once it starts, you'll know when he returns to the exact day because you can count forward 2,520 days. Now, the beauty of all of this is that we won't be here to see this start. We won't be here to calculate that. We know it in advance, but we know that we're going to be... um, saved from that through the event called the rapture of the church. Um, but those that uh, are on the earth will experience it, experience it, experience that, if you will, exactly 2,520 days after the rapture starts. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.